the title there in the Bible says, Do Not Worry. Chapter 6, yeah, Matthew 6, verse 25, page 685 on the Church Bible. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat will eat and drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much, uh, will he not much more clothe you, O you, o you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Five in the church Bible. Just to give musicians a bit of a heads up, I'm going to double check. We're down to do Seek Ye First. Could we also redo after that, Build Your Kingdom here? Okay. Yeah? Or, to get it wrong, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm just, are we able to take that bit of buzz down? Is that okay? Awesome. Let's bow our heads. Lord, your word tells us that for those who know Christ, who've been saved, drawn into his family, we have the right to call on you as our heavenly father. And so we do that now, knowing that quite often we don't. Knowing that quite often we don't want to process and face life with the reality that you are our heavenly father. So, as we encounter you in your word by the grace of Christ in the power of the Spirit, we pray that we would end up worshipping, loving, trusting, glorifying our Heavenly Father. Take us and do what you wish and intend through this section of Scripture, we pray. For we ask in the good and gracious name of Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Right, get your pads ready. If you're a note taker, if you're not, we are going to deal with that feeling and reality that everybody has and everybody wants to run from. In fact, it is the fight or flight emotion. Said the robin to the sparrow, I'd really like to know why these anxious people rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, oh, I think that it must be, for they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. If you're a believer here today, do you have a heavenly father? Then do not worry. I'm done. No, I'm not joking here. That is the logic that the Lord Jesus brings to us. He says, if you have a heavenly father, 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been working through over the last few weeks, your heavenly father, your heavenly father, your heavenly father, your heavenly father, then do not worry. And I know what you're thinking right now because you're putting up a fight in your heart even as I say that because I did when I was working on this because I just want to scream out, if it was that easy, I wouldn't be worrying. It's more complicated than that. 
I know I'm not supposed to worry. I know I'm supposed to live as if I'm not just saved eternally, but I've got a present heavenly father who loves me, knows what is best for me, and is taking me on a journey by his gracious providence to bring glory to his name and joy in my heart. But worry is everywhere. So clearly, it's not that simple, Jesus. And what does the Lord Jesus say back to us? Yes, it is. It is that simple. If you really get a hold of having a heavenly father and choose to live under that reality, then worry will dissipate from your life. But you know, there's a difference here in the way that he speaks to how he has spoken to us in this point, because he knows that we put up a fight. All the way through the Sermon on the Mount, and I noticed this, and it's just so wonderfully great. The Lord Jesus, surprisingly, is a really good pastoral counsellor. He knows what we put up a fight. He knows what we protect. He knows how, when he says something like, well, three times, do not worry or be anxious. Do not worry or be anxious, verse 31. Do not worry or be anxious, verse 34. It's there, 25, 31, 34. And he knows that we'll go, and we'll put up a fight. So all the way through this sermon up to this point, he's been declaring his new kingdom, his renovation mission, planet Earth. He's going to call a people to himself under his kingdom rule. He is going to deal with their sin. He is going to secure their future. And he's going to say, you are going to be a lighthouse for living under my kingdom to this world. You will be marked out as different. And he's made declaration after declaration about that. And we've been told that we will live differently. We will live under the same sun, but it will be a different horizon. We will dance to the beat of a different tune because King Jesus is there and he has said it and he has declared it, but now he changes. Have you noticed what he does four or five times in this little text where he knows that we will put up a really big fight about this? He asks gentle questions. Do you notice that? Somebody read one of the questions. What's the first one that comes up? Read me one of the questions that's there in those verses. Is not life more important than food or drink or what you will wear? Give us another one. Isn't the body more important than clothes? Give me another one. Matty, this is why you need a Bible, lad. Okay, go on, Jane. Are you not much more valuable than they? Good. Who of you? Do you see, he knows that in your heart and mind there is a protective ring around our worry. Have you got a protective ring around your worry? And I know why it's there. It's really quite obvious, isn't it? It's because worry is an emotion that feels involuntary. Do you know what I mean by that? You see, Tom, yesterday afternoon, was desperate to send me a text. You don't mind me confessing your sins, do you? He was, te- he was desperate to, to send a text. Some of you have been there before because inside of him was this involuntary sense of panic. Run, make the feeling go away. I know how to make it go away. Feign a headache, text I can't do it. Some of you have that about the prospect of standing up in front of people. Ah, oh, just get me away. Others of you, it's when you just get another phone call, go not another thing and this horrible pain comes in. But the thing about those is you didn't go looking for those feelings. They seem to come out at you and beyond your control. And therefore, we hold them really tightly and say, well, I've got no control over this. My worry just is. And Jesus is going to tell us that it's a bit more complicated than that, but he's going to do it with really gentle questions. Anxiety, the word or worry here, means split or divided. So you feel scattered in many directions. Anybody ever felt worry? It's like when you get that anxiety feeling, it's almost as if you're, you're swatting mental flies that are all coming at you like, calm down, what's the problem? I'm safe. I'm sa- And you're swatting them away. Worry tends to be specific about a particular thing. You can focus on it. Anxiety is more a general sense of dread and threat that is coming at you. I think our worry quite often is responses 
to immediate problems that come at us. And some of you have got particular worries today. But then after a while of, of, of your system, your nervous system running at that high energy level, it can build up so much so that there's this background noise of anxiety. You struggle to sleep. Your heart's not quite right. You can move in the direction of panic attacks, heart palpitations. For me, it presents when I get anxious, I get a real tenseness around here. For some of you, it's sleeplessness. I had a friend who, when he was is in school, he used to do something called penny rubs. Anybody ever know anything about a penny rub? It's just a sort of masochistic, weird thing that was used to prove how tough you were. You got a little penny, and rather than listening to the teacher in class, you just sat there and rubbed your penny like that. Rubbed, 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 rubbed. And what surprisingly happened when you gradually rubbed and rubbed and rubbed you remove layer after layer after layer after layer of skin. Now, my friend, when he did this, he had a nasty shock when his mum sprayed some iodine on it to try to seal it all up. But the point is, is your skin there is a really tough level of resistance against touch. Okay, so if you touch my arm right there, now you can whack it and it doesn't hurt that much at all. But if you wear down and expose the nerves, just a little on the top of it, and it's going to put me in serious pain. And we find that over time, as worries about worries about worries build up, we get nervous, and it takes the tiniest little thing to just kick us off into that fight-or-flight mode. But he's going to say, he's going to say that although it feels involuntary and you don't feel like you can control it, He's going to show us a way to be walked out of being dominated in your life by worry and anxiety. How? By knowing and pressing into and seeking after your heavenly Father. And I know there's resistance because you're like, well, I've tried that. I've prayed. I've said, Lord, would you take this from me? Can I tell you that knowing and pressing into and seeking after your heavenly Father has to go even deeper than that. He says that worry is a reflection of really who you trust and worship. We can see that down in, in verse 30. Let me just read it to you. Verse 30 says this, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is... Th oh, not verse 30. I didn't want that one. Hold on. Da -da -da -da. Verse 32. For the... No, no. Hold on. Oh, it is Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? What's that next little bit say? So do you see, he thinks it's a worship and faith issue. You can know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but not live under the reality in your day-by-day -day life that you have a heavenly Father who has got your back. Do you see that? We can run around like everybody else who's got no heavenly father because we pursue and chase after and demand control in our own way, just like everybody else does. So let me talk to you a little bit about anxiety for a moment. Put up your hand if you can tell me something that people get anxious about. Sorry? Lack of money. Oh, I've just caught that one. I'll just hold on to that one. Good. Next one. Letting people down. Good. Good. Okay. Keep coming. Keep them coming. Health. I'll oh, just grab that one. Good. Keep going. Work. Good. Any more? Reputation. Good. Got it. Kids making poor choices. I'll take three there. One, two. Oh, I've got six. One, yep. Good. Okay. My arms are getting pretty full now. Good. Keep, keep them coming. Keep them coming. You lot don't worry about much, do you? Football. Okay. I'll take a small one of those and put it on there. Okay, so I worry about exams. I'll have one of them. And then uh, what, what university I'm going to get to go to? Oh, have I got enough grades? What will people think of me if I don't get into the right grades? What if I get to that university and I don't end up in the right location? What if I get the wrong kind of friends? What if nobody likes me? What if I get there and I can't take the pace? What about my student loan doesn't come through? Um, okay, well, I do student loan, but then I get through my degree and I've got multiple more exams. I'm just, oh, I'm getting pretty full here. And then I, uh, I actually pass some exams. Then I've got to get a job. And then I've got to, oh, no, okay, what if I don't look good enough? And what if, uh, what 
what if uh, what if we can't get on and what if we argue and uh, and what if we don't want the th- same things out and what if my friends walk out on me and they don't like me and what if people tell stories about me and what if he what if he dumps me oh no what if I marry it oh no what's going to happen there and oh no oh, brilliant okay we've managed to settle down day of the wedding this is go wedding oh no oh there we can put, put put that into there okay so I've now we've got to settle down now we've got to serve the Lord and we've got to get some money and I've still got to look good and uh, oh no I forgot I've got this Instagram feed that I've got to keep keep really fresh and otherwise people will forget me and I, what's happened to my arms and you wonder why we get stressed sometimes because we get so stressed with the things that pile in upon us we'll do simple sinful things and they will lead in the direction of sinful struggles so perhaps you're really worried about getting the right job because you really feel like you need that as a solution to your life. So what you'll do when you apply for that job or you pl- apply for that benefit application, you bend the truth and you become dishonest because that will remove that fear and pull and tug inside of you. Perhaps in your schedule, you know you're a bit time poor. No, I don't know what time poor is. All I know is everybody's got the same amount of time, but apparently you're time poor, which means you become unreliable at your scheduling and you let people down. What about in your finances? You'll do shady, underhanded, and cheating things to give yourself a sense of security, and you'll justify it. Oh, what about if I don't get the kind of friendships and relationships that I want? I'm really worried about that. And what I'll do is I'll make compromises where I should not make compromises because it'll seem to take that anxiety away in that moment. What about being liked? Oh, I'll stand around and talk to people after church, and I'll embellish the stories a little bit. And I'll become that really annoying person at parties who's, who's just acting up in order to be liked. Have you noticed what we do to try and deal with our anxiety and our worries? And then finally, when those won't go away, what we do is we, because we want to run from them, because we want to escape, because we want to, want to find a refuge, we will go to all kinds of silly places. If you'd have told me five years ago that I would be drinking as much wine in the evening as I currently am, I would have laughed in your face. And then suddenly you get to a point where you're like, when did I start drinking that much? And it started like, oh, I've had a long day and I've got my head won't calm down. I'll just have half a glass of wine. Okay, half a glass of wine doesn't do it anymore. I need to start drinking like kosh. (laughs) And it may, may not be wine. How many people, just to calm down and feel better about themselves, will go into the cookie jar and chug the carbs? Or else you go and exercise because the endorphins of the exercise release something out there. Or perhaps you will spend yourself out of worry, which is really ironic given that the thing that got you into the worry in the first place was what, people? Spending. We will medicate away the genuine hurt of worry. We will try to control the people around us because of worry and anxiety and, and ensure that they don't add to our worry and anxiety. So in my home, the way that it looks is I feel overrun with a never-ending to-do list. So the second that the kids so much as sniff out of place, I'm like, why are you making me having to deal with that? Learn how to wipe your nose yourself. Or whatever the equivalent may be. So I act out in my temper tantrums, which are merely an expression of my anxiety running out of control. Calm it down, calm it down. Perhaps I have social anxiety and I find it really hard to be amongst people in church. And therefore what I will do is I will back away from loving them because the worry of being near people and being seen is just crushing. I read of this week there was somebody who said with quite honesty, and I I can't identify with this, I have fears. This one doesn't happen to be, be mine. He said that there is a large percentage of people who sit in church who would genuinely rather get cancer than stand up in front of a a group of people to have to talk. Now, I can't identify with that, but that sounds pretty real. So well in, Tom. You did it. You don't have to have cancer. It's all clear. Jesus says that in this key area, we will be markedly different. Because if you know your heavenly Father, it will have a difference. You cannot say, I follow the Prince of Peace, then live that same stressed out, anxiety-ridden life that everybody else does. So Steve, how? It's bouncing off me right now. I, I, I believe that when Jesus says it, he means it, but how do I connect it into me? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to do as we go look through this text. We're going to see three points. Number one, your worry reveals your life. Number two, your worry reveals your faith. 
And number three, your worry reveals your father. Okay, first up, your worry reveals your life. Now, generally speaking, if you want to know how to understand emotions, you need to understand the concept of smoke and fire. Smoke and fire. So if you're in your house later on today and you see some smoke, you won't have fixed the problem if all you do is go and just get rid of the smoke. What do you have to go looking for? The fire, the source, what is at the heart of the issue? Our emotions are expressions of our heart. So if all you try to do is deal with the worry, what you don't do is deal with the heart that is underneath. How do we understand this? What does Jesus say about this? Well, he uses the word, your life, the thing that you are devoted to, the thing that you are committed to, the thing that you see as of ultimate for you, that you treasure. So verse 25, somebody read verse 25 for us, please. And he asks us a question because he he realizes that we would be tempted to believe that life, the center of all of humanity, the things that we should be ultimately committed to and devoted to are the three things that he mentioned there, which would have been very common, desperately sought after things in the first century. What are the three things that he says there? What? Food, before clothes, drink, Clothes. Interestingly, not a lot has changed, has it? So if you were to go and buy your broadsheet newspaper or even your tabloid today and open to the lifestyle sections, you can guarantee that 50% of what is written there, probably more like 80%, is all taken up with food, drink, and clothes and all the experiences that are around them. We really aren't that complicated. So in the first century, Jesus speaks exactly towards the things that people thought that if I have those, I'm okay. I can face life if those things are in order. And therefore, if they are that precious and that that important, then I will scramble around to try to secure them. I will be the person who gets a hold of those things. And Jesus says, are you sure that is the fullness of what life consists in? Or is there more besides? What do you mean more besides? Now, listen, you guys are Bible-believing Christians, many of you sitting in this room, and you sort of know the answers, and you sort of go, of course, Of course, there is more to life. There's spiritual life. Well, there's a big difference to intellectually assenting to that and actively in your heart living out of it. So name the things that you have been stressed about this week and ask yourselves whether they are what life consists in or whether it is because you have made life to consist in those things. We have all kinds of new sorts of worries. We have this thing, this worry now, because we ha- we're provided with almost everything. Everybody, you've heard the phrase FOMO, fear of. Now, this is massively, a massive press down upon us, whatever age in this room you are, because the philosophy of this age is life is found here, life is found now, and life is what you make of it, which immediately means that we're, put on high alert, again, well, what if I'm missing out and I'm the one who's going to control and make this happen? So all the Christmas adverts will be about fear of missing out. They won't just sell meat. They will sell the experience around the meat as if meat can create an experience. And they'll be happy and smiley. There's not, there isn't going to be a single advert with a chicken dropped on the table like it is in your house and everybody sitting around elbowing each other and going, and it burns and, and somebody passing wind. Because no, no. If you leverage your life in such a way that you can get this experience, and that's exacerbated by social media because everybody puts up on social media all their, all their failures at reaching this goal. No. Every time in which they feel like they are touching the void of perfection, everything that is to be pursued, and it puts us under a great deal of, of pressure. So I am terribly fearful about missing out on life, which is the experiences of this world, that this world say our life. And it's incredibly captivating to me. So we're worried about not wanting what... 
what others have. We're worried about not achieving everything that we could achieve in a world that says there's so many opportunities, you've just got to wrestle it down. Is anybody else feeling the pressure even as I say it? There's comparisons on social media. You're supposed to have it all, do it all, achieve it all. Don't waste your opportunities. And they hold up to us the superheroes, the celebrities who've made it. And they interview them and they say, how have you done it? Well, I worked really hard and I pursued my dream. And now I've got it all. And me thinks, yeah, really? But of course, because they look shiny and airbrushed and there's music in the background and it's all inspirational, I'm hook, line and sinker for the lie. I had a horrible time this week. I went to a... Uh, an executive board meeting, uh, boards training days. It was supposed to be inspirational. Now, I was with wonderful people, but the point of the whole day, they pulled in these life coaches and they're inspirational. They've all written a gajillion books that have sold even more and they travel to all these nations, influencing and empowering people. And they're talking about the basic essence of the empowerment message, which is you're making a difference. That's why you're here. If you just find the silver bullet, then you will be able to achieve your dreams, take people with you, and the clouds will open, and confetti will fall, and music will play, and you'll have been an overcomer. And I'm sitting there just sinking into more and more anxiety. I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, listen, we're not asking you to do anything amazing. We just want you to go from good to great. Because, quite honestly, if you don't go from good to great, well... Oh, I had to... Yeah, yeah, I had to paint a mug as well, and that really got me stressed. Now, I've, I've put a few pieces together in my heart. Maybe this is what you face as well. I've, have you noticed the seasons and times when you are most anxious and stressed in the world? Yours won't be the same as mine, but let me tell you a little bit about mine. Mine are September... And November. Does anybody know why? I'll tell you why. Because in September, I have been away on my holiday for the previous month, and everybody would think, that's really restful. Oh, no, not if you're ste. Because on holiday, when you are ste, what you do is you, before you go, so this is my holiday where I'm going to be devoted to the Lord. And I set challenges of all the things that I say I should be able to do, like read 17 books in a day and write some really important books and then plan a strategy for the church. And then what I do is I stoke myself up with that and a fair amount of bike riding and a fair, yeah, I'm going to go from good to great, baby. And then I ride back at the start of September with all of this pressure and expectation that I'm going to deliver and I'm going to be an even better pastor and all the bad habits that I got into and all the people I let down, that's a thing of the past. And And round about the 8th of September, what happens? (laughs) And I'm grumpy at Jane on a distance. She's like, what have I done? Everything! And the other time is, the other time is November, because what happens in November? It's pastor's conference season. And you go there with a view of just desperately needing something to water your soul, to give you enough strength to get through Christmas. But instead what you do is because of your sinful heart, you go there and you just start the comparison game. And there's a thousand people, which means there's probably a thousand over-exaggerated stories of success. And you listen to each one and you start saying in your heart, why can't I do that? Why can't I achieve that? Why can't I make that happen? Why is it that the Lord has passed over us? Why isn't our congregation bigger? Why isn't it that we've not raised up more leaders? It's because you don't work hard enough and it's because it's all down to you. Is that what the Lord said to me? No. But I've taken, do you notice what I've done? I've taken the methodology and philosophy of the world and riveted it to my Christian faith And the result of it is, even as I stand here now, I'm not quite on the verge of panic attacks, but I've got tension around here, which I have for the last two weeks. Why is that? Because my worry is revealing in my heart I am addicted to the idea that I'm going to be the one who can achieve. I can make it happen. I'm going to be one of those people. I've got to deliver this level of performance. Now, does the Lord put that burden upon me? Who puts that burden upon me? And I'm looking back at you and saying, you need to do a trace through. So maybe for you, it runs a little bit differently. Maybe one of you go, comes to me and goes, I'm really anxious about my job. I'm worried that I'm going to lose it. 
I say to you, well, what will happen if you lose it? Well, I'll, um, uh, I'll have to get rid of my car because I won't be able to afford it. Okay, well, what will happen if you get rid of your car and you can't afford it? Then um, uh, I'll have to get on the bus and I won't be able to get around as much. And, well, why is that a problem? Well, people will just think I'm a loser. Well, why is that, that a prob- problem? Because I can't bear people thinking I'm rubbish. Whoops, a daisy. Do you see how the smoke has a source? So in that moment, that poor person is more concerned about what other people think than living in the reality that they have a heavenly father who knows the worst about us but lives us, loves us anyway. You get this. Our worry is a worship issue. So I wonder what you feel you've got to race after and chase after at the moment. It will be something that you have described as life. Maybe it's the pursuit of a particular kind of relationship. Maybe things are difficult in your relationships and you're worried that it's always going to be the same because you've said you have to have that kind of relationship. Maybe it's, an, it's longer hours and you've said to yourself, well, I've heard so many stories of these people out there in the world who if they just order themselves and find the right silver bullet, then they can make it work. And I really like the idea of being one of those kind of people because I want to be able to have those little extras. I want to have the meat. I want a bit of give. And we get intoxicated by those realities. And who's absent from that picture? I trust Jesus for my salvation. But the way I run my life right now, I'm playing God. And Jesus describes that in verse 31 as what? Verse 31, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. He says that in that moment, who are you functionally being like? Pagans. The birds and the sparrows are singing that song in your face. You haven't got a heavenly father. Anxiety is a test for where our hearts are attached. Is it food? Is it drink? Is it what we wear? We want to attach our hearts onto something our desires for life. Any of you know anything about Buddhism, you'll know that they've spotted this. So a Buddhist solution to that is because we attach our desires and things of this life that always sooner or later will fail us or crush us with worry and anxiety, the Buddhist answer is simple. The Buddhist answer is don't have any earthly attachments. Jesus is much more wonderful, life-giving and thriving-esque. He says... Think about where you put your faith, which is point number two. Your worry reveals your faith. So, verse 25 to 30. Could somebody read verses 25? Oh, sorry, verses 26 to 30. Brilliant. Well done for reading that. So you know, can you sense our problem already? We have an overinflated sense of our own ability to provide and set our own destiny. So do you notice what the Lord Jesus says? He says, listen, I know you're going to be really protective of that. So what I want you to do is look elsewhere and learn a lesson. And he asks us to look in two directions. Where are the two things we're supposed to look? He says, go on, imagine this. Just take a look, pull out your binoculars and have a look at the, take out your picture postcards and have a look at the the grass or the flowers. What do we see when we look at the birds? So the birds are quite industrious and they carry on. But fundamentally, who is the one who sustains, upholds and ensures that they have a future? And then he goes with an argument from the lesser to the greater. 
So those are just birds. Are they made in the image of God? Are they precious in his sight like human beings? Did Jesus Christ step into this abominable world, enemy-occupied terror, bear the absolute worst, be carried to a cross, get nailed to that tree, hang between accusations of the devil, staining his soul? Did he say, it is finished, in order to secure the future of the birds? Are you not much more valuable? You see, this is your problem. And it's mine too. I just don't believe the Lord cares for me. If I don't feel like he's taking it seriously enough. I have to take matters into my own hands. Because I just don't believe he cares. Maybe we do this we work ourselves too hard. And we're prone to push ourselves and keep on trying not just out of faithfulness, although that will be a big part of it, but sometimes because we just don't think us and valuable than the birds. Would you grab a hold of that today? I'm not talking about the person next to you. You need to look at me now and pray that I would learn this lightly, pushing away. I'm constantly caricaturing him as a boss rather than a father. Is that your problem too? He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you. And one of the beautiful benefits amongst millions of others of the achievements of Christ on the cross is that we get to call him our postcard of a field. And what do we see when we look at the field? What do we see? What's it say? Not just any old flowers. How are they arrayed? With what kind of splendor? And more than Solomon's glory. Why is that example? Because Solomon had an earthly glory that is the absolute best of opulence that this world can provide. So we believe that the ideal picture of what life now looks like, we're intoxicated by the idea that it is found in earthly glory. We call that celebrity or living that life where you feel empowered. And we view that as the most glorious way of living. And the Lord comes away with a bunch of grass that is burned up in a second. And he goes, no, let me tell you something. The angels of heaven look upon the grass of the field and they say that is beautiful and glorious because it is upheld and providentially kept by the living God. So my question that I have to ask you and my own soul is, are you happy and satisfied with that? Or do you want the world's version? Because one will free you from worry and give you an ever-increasing sense of being loved and under the sovereign care of a living God, the other will whisper sweet nothings that you can have it all and end up crushing you emotionally and spiritually. In fact, he references in there, doesn't he, those people who, by worrying, can you even add another hour to your life, or in some translations, another cubit to your height, by, by being fearful as to how big and long you are going... Does that do any good? No, because it it was never under your control. Yes, you can go to the gym, you can eat healthy, you can run, you can go to the doctors, you can have your checkups, you can take your medication. Can you add even a second to your life? You can't, can you? But we like going to the gym, going to the doctors, taking the medication, eating healthy, because it gives us the sense that we're really in control. Has anybody added to their life by doing any of that? No, because our lives are totally under his hand. Jeremiah 10 verse 23 says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. Have you any idea how utterly helpless and inconsequential you and I are over the directions of our lives? We didn't control where we were born. We didn't control how we grew. We didn't control how many hairs were on our heads. The, the encounters that we have moment by moment, have you any idea how many times in the last 24 hours he has rescued you from unmitigated and total disaster? You are alive today purely because he sustains moment by moment. Banished from your idea, this idea that God is beyond the Andromeda galaxy, he wound up the clockwork and the, and the world is running and we sort of have to make the best of it and run hard alongside. That's not what the Bible says. 
We are sustained moment by moment, hanging in the balance by his gracious command. Do you realize that if he suddenly decided right now that the melting point of metal should change from round about 800 degrees C to 20 degrees C, you would all hit the floor right now. Because the metal chair legs on your seats would just disappear into nothing. Imagine this morning when you push, push the button on the kettle, that if he decided, do you know for today, I know I always usually keep steel and metal to, to, to be solid until about 800 degrees. However, I'm going to change it today and make it 50 degrees. Can you imagine what would have happened to your water and your kettle? The kettle disappears from around the water and everything makes a mess. The Lord is upholding that moment by moment. He is our heavenly father. There is no such thing as the law of physics. Sorry, Joe. There is the sustaining power of the Lord. Do you know what a miracle is? A miracle is that moment where the Lord, who has always decided to uphold everything consistently because it tells you a story about who he is, decides for a second, I think I'll change that just for a moment. He changes it for a moment and then he puts it back. You are utterly in his hands. And the myth of pride says, I've got more control over this whole thing. Now, some of you are sitting there and saying, but he does call us to do stuff. Of course he does. But wouldn't he be weak if our choices, our decisions, our laziness or foolishness could override his good purposes? Then we would be God and he's not. There is this terrible myth of pride. So what we do is we carry and put our faith in ourselves and we say, Worry is basically me saying, I'm worried that you don't care about the things I care about as much as I care about them. And he goes, of course I don't care about the things that you care about as much as I care about them, because you care about the wrong sorts of things and they'll kill you. What we do is we so often we go, oh, I'm really anxious and I hand this over to God. And faith in that moment means that we say, I'm going to trust God to give me what I think he should give me. And the Lord goes, nope. Faith is, you trust me to be your heavenly father and direct the things the way I see fit because everything as I see fit is a darn sight better, more pure and heading in a better direction than anything that you would choose. But no, no, we put our faith back in ourselves and anxiety builds and we bear a burden that we were never supposed to bear and our autonomic nervous system complains and we get stressed our fight or flight flings into space because we're carrying burdens that were supposed to be in the hand of the heavenly father we put our, our, our faith in ourself pride p-r-i-d-e what's right at the center of pride anxiety a-n-x-i-e-t-y what is right in the center? You like that, don't you, Jane? You can remember that one. Okay. For somebody who's on the verge of passing out because she's so tired. What is the center? Somebody give Jane a hug, please. Gosh, sort it. I'll go on, Stu. I'm so glad you're here. Warm the poor girl up and put, give her your coat, will you? Pass your coat over. Good on you. Now, that's a chivalrous gentleman. I'm glad you're here today, Stuart. What is the center and the source of anxiety? I. Everybody else says, I didn't volunteer for this. And Jesus says, well, let me ask you a few questions first. <laughs> I need to get a pill to calm down my system. Well, maybe you do for a little while just to get, because you've blown it out. The, probably not, but maybe you do. But if you don't deal with the fire and all you deal with is the smoke, you're only going to be back here again. So verse 31, we become functional pagans. And we say, I've got to handle it. I've got to secure it. I've got to make them love me. I've got to get those extra things. I need those experiences. And our heavenly father looks down upon us and goes, oh, please just rest in me. And so quickly to finish up with, I hope you've seen where this is all landing. Your worry reveals your father lastly. What does that mean? It means that if you take a different approach to this, not only will worry start to get itself under control, but also you'll have a new experience of your heavenly father, the one that you were made for. Interestingly, modern scholars 
when they have done their studies as what helps people who've got long-term anxiety disorders or seasonal and circumstantially driven periods of stress, what have they found helps people, whether they're believers or not, they have found meditation and gratefulness in the moment. If people slow down for a second, calm things down and appreciate what's in their immediate vicinity and have a heart of gratefulness. Now, some, one version of that is called mindfulness. You know, you've heard of mindfulness? What happens in mindfulness is basically it's, it's sort of been hijacked. It's a Christian principle hijacked by an Eastern religion and then re-injected into secularism. And the essence of mindfulness is this. Every day, take a period of time out to just be present in the moment. In other words, you don't let the past failures, worries, concerns in, in, um, intrude upon it. You don't start looking to the future. In the moment, you just get quiet and you appreciate the things that you've got control of, i.e. you breathing and the moment and the warmth in the room and you feel and you hopefully put yourself in a nice environment with either nice pictures or you go out into the garden and you look around and you just start being thankful for that. Now that's a good place to start. But that's been hijacked and stripped out of all its teeth because the real deal is, verse 33, somebody read that and read it bold and proud. Stop there. Did you see that? Seek. Now that word seek and seek first is as of first importance. So the pagans seek other things. People who don't know God as their heavenly father seek as of first importance other things. And he says, no, 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 no. What you want to do is carve out time to slow down and to take a hold of, meditate upon, massage into your heart the realities of a God who loves you enough to care about your burdens and is powerful enough to be able to do something about it. Can I say that again? Who is loving enough to care about your burdens and powerful enough to do something about them. And sometimes to do something about them is answer the problem and sometimes to do something about them is change your heart from loving them so much. Do you see what I'm getting at? So I'm bearing a load I cannot and was never meant to bear, but verse 30 says, he says, seek above all else. Doesn't mean don't do anything about your finances, your food, your clothing. Doesn't mean don't do anything about the direction and vision of the church. Doesn't mean don't do them, but don't have them as the first thing, the thing that you meditate upon and live your life out of. Him first. So things, other things that you previously thought were indisposable, or you couldn't live without, they get dialed down in their power. What if he doesn't give me what I want in terms of a promotion or an advance in my benefits? What if he doesn't give that because he wants me to have a higher, uh, doesn't want me to have a higher level of stuff, but a higher level of trust and dependence and gratitude in what I do have? Now, as I say that, some of you, your anxiety levels rise. Why is that? It's because you've determined in your heart that there are things that you have to have. You believe in practice that you can be content with less, but you don't want to be content with less, do you? Because you're like me. So your anxiety levels rise and say, yeah, but I could. And the Lord looks down and says, I'm your heavenly father. Change that could from asking the question, should. What if I don't get a clean bill of health? Maybe it's because I've got some stuff to learn and to enjoy a certain measure of health that I am given. Maybe there's things that I can only do in those circumstances and situations. Maybe those moments will be so much easier to face when I know that my heavenly father loves me more than he loves sparrows. And the life that he beautifies is more valuable than the riches of Solomon. What if my kids don't pass their exams? Hold on, am I a Christian or am I a pagan? If my kids don't pass my, their exams, which is a really good chance. If my kids don't pass my exams, am I going to capitulate into a nervous wreck because I'm not have, they're not going to have the prospect of all the things the world say they should? Or am I going to be genuinely content that if they love Jesus and they're seeking him, I'm happy for them to go and sweep roads or work at the Mackey's? Maybe there are people who work in the Mackies who need a witness. 
And the only person who can be that witness is one of my girls. Am I a pagan or am I a Christian? Do you see what I'm getting at here? This is absolutely radical living. I felt really worried about standing up and saying this to you, but we are being called to be radical because Jesus Christ is radical. He's saying we will be notably different because we have a heavenly father who is worth more than this world could ever offer. Do you realize what I have to do? And maybe you have to do it too. I have to be willing to surrender some of my worldly ambitions. Do you remember in the parable of the sower, the temptation the devil sent, that the cares and the worries of this world would snuff out spiritual light? There are things that you need to surrender. Maybe some of you need to go home and put some stuff on the table that you talk about. For me, as I've spoken about, it's levels of effectiveness in ministry. I think I'm trying to compensate it for riding my bike very, very fast. Well, I might not better succeed in that area, but I'll jolly well succeed in that one. Or else it's, you know, some of you try to see me trying to do the wheelies. I will be able to wheelie my ruddy bike. I cannot face the prospect of life knowing that I can't achieve what I want to achieve. Or am I prepared to say... Lord, let the scallies have the wheelies. Lord, just glorify your name and teach me contentment before you. How are you going to look different out there? Listen, how about something? Challenge you on this one. I'm going to try and do it too over the next few days. You are going to have a competition, uh, competition, a conversation with somebody this week about what they're worried about. Am I wrong? You're going to bump into someone and say, oh, I'm just worried about this, or this is, oh, what if that happens? And you're able to turn to them, and if they haven't used the word worry or anxious, you're able to say, it sounds like you are worried and anxious. And they'll go, yeah. Sounds to me like you need to become a Christian. Because a Christian has a heavenly father. We have a saviour whose name is the Prince of Peace. And he paid on the nail and guaranteed with his name that he will never leave nor forsake me. And I struggle to live out of that, but I'm trying. He's thankfully more faithful than I am. So I'm trying desperately, and they'll look at you like an idiot. You say, I'm trying desperately this week to be a bird. Said the robin to the sparrow, I'd really like to know why these anxious people rush around and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin, oh, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. We're going to sing in a moment, but before we do, I want to invite you to have a few moments of quiet. Please would every head bow, close your eyes, and use this as you think is worthwhile. <clears throat>